During the Christmas holidays, 21-year-old Lucy Partington was a university student who went home to her mother's house to celebrate the holiday. On December 27th, Lucy went to visit her disabled friend and left to catch a bus shortly after 10 p.m. She was abducted from a bus stop along the A-435 when she crossed paths with Fred and Rose West. Just like Carol Ann Cooper, she was tortured for about a week before they murdered, dismembered, and buried her in Fred's construction projects. Fred would be admitted into the casualty unit of the Gloucester Royal Hospital on January 3, 1974, for a serious laceration on his right hand that it is believed he sustained while dismembering Lucy Partington's body. Carol Ann Cooper and Lucy were reported missing, but there wasn't anything tying the girls to the Wests. 21-year-old sociology student Therese Sigentaylor was abducted by the Wests as she hitchhiked from South London to Hollyhead in April 1974. Fred would refer to her as Tulip. She was reported missing to Scotland Yard by her family in Switzerland when their daughter broke communication off from them. In November 1974, 15-year-old Shirley Hubbard would go missing from a bus stop. The foster child was on her way home after a date with her boyfriend, whom she had promised to meet the next day. Juanita Mott had been a former lodger at 25 Cromwell Street, but happened to be living with a family friend when she mysteriously disappeared in April 1975. It is believed that she was abducted as she hitchhiked along the B-4215. Astoundingly, even with these events, Fred still continued to attract the authorities' attention with his frequent stealing and fencing. But for him, he had to steal and sell the stolen goods to fund his home improvement projects. They were necessary in keeping his and his wife's sadistic hobby a secret. In 1977, the Wests enticed a 14-year-old girl, only known as Miss A, by the courts. From a home for wayward girls, she stated that at Cromwell Street, she was led into a room with two naked girls who were prisoners there. Miss A witnessed the torture of the girls and was raped by Fred and sexually assaulted by Rose. Between Fred and Rose... She would also state that Rose was the most aggressive of the two. It is believed that one of the girls the young girl saw was most likely Anna Marie. Anna was a constant target of Fred and Rose's. As if it wasn't enough that she was raped and tortured by her own father, he would also bring home his friends to have sex with her. From the age of 13... Her father and stepmother would force Anna into prostitution within the household. The clients were told that she was 16, and Rose would always be present in the room when the clients were there. Again, this wasn't done for the welfare of the child, but was to ensure she did not reveal her true age to her client. 
When Anna Marie was 13 or 14, Rose would take the young girl to a local pub where she insisted she drink several glasses of barley wine. Hours later, Fred showed up at the pub to pick up Rose and Anna Marie. When they left the premises, Anna was thrown into her father's van and then viciously beaten by Rose, who asked her, Do you think you could be my friend? Before she was sexually assaulted by her father and stepmother. During the year 1977, the upstairs of the Cromwell residence had been remodeled to allow more lodgers. One of these lodgers was 18-year-old Shirley Robinson, who was a former prostitute known to be bisexual. While living in the home, she developed a relationship with both Fred and Rose. She would soon learn that she was pregnant with Fred's baby. Fred wasn't necessarily happy about the pregnancy, but he was ecstatic about his wife carrying a mixed child. But Rose was greatly unhappy that Shirley was carrying Fred's child. This posed a problem in their relationship. She made it very clear to her husband that Shirley had to go. In December 1977, Rose gave birth to her daughter Tara, who was half black. And by May 10th, 1978, almost exactly a month before her due date, Shirley was murdered, dismembered, and buried in the rear garden with her unborn child. This time, the fetus was also dismembered. In November 1978, Rose and Fred had another daughter, Louise. The growing family now had six children. In 1979, Fred impregnated his daughter, Anna Marie. However, she had an ectopic pregnancy, meaning that it occurred in her fallopian tube and needed to have the pregnancy terminated. Only a few days after she was released from the hospital, Anna Marie would receive a severe beating from Rose to the stomach. She ran away to live with her boyfriend after this incident. The West children weren't dumb or blind when it came to the things occurring in their household. They knew Rose was a prostitute and that Anna Marie was being raped by their father. But when Anna Marie moved out, Fred needed a new target. He would then focus on Heather and May. In August 1979, 16-year-old Allison Chambers would suffer the same fate of the other girls who had the misfortune of crossing paths with Fred and Rose West. Allison had been placed in foster care at the age of 14 and would constantly run away from Jordan's Brook House. She had become acquainted with the Wests in mid-1979. Fred would later claim that she died as a result of Rose becoming too bloody vicious with her. In June 1980, Rose gave birth to Fred's second son named Barry. She would give birth again in April 1982, 
to Rosemary Jr., who was not Fred's child. Another baby was born in July 1983, named Luciana, who was half black. With there being so many children in the household, Rose became more and more irrational and would beat the children without reason. The frequency of the abuse that Heather and May endured increased when they reached puberty. Their father was remorseless in his conduct and would frequently justify his actions by stating, I made you. I can do what I like with you. Interestingly, something that he stated his father said also. On at least one occasion, he revealed that he intended to impregnate both Heather and May. He would also force his children to watch porn with him from time to time. Heather, May, and Stephen were relatively close in age, so the three of them formulated a plan that if Fred asked either of the two girls to be alone in a room with him, they would only do so with at least one other member of the three present. This plan was to avoid either girl being raped. Both girls also would not undress or shower if their father was home. If Fred was at home, then one sister would stand guard at the door. If it wasn't bad enough that the girls would constantly receive this abuse from their own father, Stefan was informed that he would have to have sex with his mother by the age of 17. Both Heather and May were repulsed by their father, but they were very different in the way they handled the situation. And I am in no means stating that in a negative way toward either victim, because everyone responds to any type of situation differently. And I can't imagine the mental state that this puts anyone through. Fred once threw a vacuum cleaner at May when she protested against her father fondling her. She developed this mechanism where she would tolerate him groping her, then jokingly brush aside any efforts he made to take the assault any further. But Heather was different. She was deeply affected by all of it, and rightfully so. It is highly speculated in 1985 or 1986 Heather was forced to engage in intercourse with her father. It was around this time that she started developing the classic symptoms of child abuse victims. She would bite her nails until they bled. She drank alcohol. She would keep a watchful eye in her periphery if her father was in the room. She showed a sign of weariness in the company of males. She would constantly wake up from nightmares. And she would repeatedly bounce back and forth while she sat in a chair. But Fred and Rose did not perceive this behavior as signs of child abuse. Instead, they believed that Heather was a lesbian. And they would taunt her with it. It was stated that Fred never really liked Heather and would refer to her as ugly and a bitch. 
Heather would go to her mother telling her of the things her father did to her. But Rose would simply laugh at her. Heather would express to May and Stephen that she wanted to run away from home, living a nomadic lifestyle in the forest of Dean, and never see another human being ever again. Eventually, the secrets going on in the home were about to come to light. Heather would complain to friends about the abuse she and her siblings went through. Many of her friends would also recollect many of the distressing signs she exhibited. She was a studious and obedient child at school, but staff at her secondary school became concerned when she refused to change her clothing for or shower after sporting activities. One day, she was forced to take a shower with many of her classmates. And staff, noticing that her arms, legs, and torso were covered in welts and bruises, all in different stages of the healing process. She would try to explain these injuries away as having received them during fights with her siblings. However, she would confide in one of her close friends that all of the injuries were inflicted by her parents. She would also tell her friend that her mother called her a little bitch who deserved her beatings. By 1986, rumors of Rose's work as a prostitute had reached many of the West children's classmates. While the West children were explicitly instructed to never discuss details of their home lives to any of their classmates or school staff, Heather confided to one of her friends that many of the rumors were true. And you know how that goes. Once one person knows something, the entire school will know about it by lunch. It just so happened that the father of one of her classmates was a friend of the West's. So... Fred and Rose soon knew that Heather had divulged some of their dirty secrets to her classmates. Her father was very concerned by this and began escorting Heather to and from school. But not long after that, Heather left school in 1986 and began applying to various jobs so she could escape her parents. In June 1987, she had placed all of her hopes on getting away on a job as a chalet cleaner at a holiday camp in Torquay. Unfortunately, she would receive a notification on June 18, 1987, that her application wasn't successful. She crumbled into tears in front of May and Stephen. Her family could hear her crying throughout the night as she tried to sleep. On June 19th, her siblings claimed she was back to her usual self. She was looking miserable, biting her nails, and sitting on the couch, bouncing back and forth as she sat. Her siblings would then leave for school. But when the West children returned home, They were told Heather left to accept the job that she had previously been refused. Rose would also tell other family members about Heather's change in luck. However, she would tell a neighbor that she and her daughter had a hell of a row and she ran away. 
Many of the West children would ask why Heather hadn't contacted them or visited them, to which the parents claimed that Heather had eloped with a lesbian lover. May and Stephen became increasingly anxious by Heather's sudden disappearance and suggested that maybe they should report it to authorities. But their father told them that by doing so, they would get their sister in trouble with the law as she was involved in credit card fraud. After Heather's disappearance, Fred would jokingly threaten his children that they would end up under the patio like Heather if they misbehaved or told anyone outside the home how badly they were treated. Fred asked his 13-year-old daughter, Louise, to bring some bottles to a room on the first floor of their home in May 1992. Shortly after this, the girl's siblings heard her scream, No, don't! Later, Fred returned downstairs. The West children found Louise writhing in pain. She told them through sobs that their father raped and sodomized her, and at one point partially strangled her. Later, when her mother returned home, Louise confided in her about what happened. Rose stated, Oh well, you were asking for it. Over the following weeks, Louise would be raped three more times, with Rose witnessing one of them. She followed her distressed and bleeding child into the bathroom and asked, Well, what did you expect? Fred would also film one of these rapes. Louise would eventually confide what her father did to her to a close friend. This friend told her mother, who in turn anonymously tipped off authorities. The police searched the West household on August 6, 1992, under the guise of searching for stolen property. Authorities found 99 pornographic videos, which included homemade and commercially bought. Unfortunately, they were unable to find the video of Fred raping Louise. Louise still managed to make a full statement telling them that the sexual abuse began when she was 11 and her mother did nothing. Authorities launched a full-scale investigation which led to Fred being charged with three counts of rape and one count of sodomy, with Rose as an accomplice. She would also be charged with child cruelty, inciting her husband to engage in sex with her daughter, and obstructing police. Authorities would also question the pair as to the whereabouts of their daughter, Heather. Fred claimed that Heather was alive and well and was supporting herself through prostitution, but when they asked Rose, she stated she had no knowledge of her daughter's whereabouts or why she had left home. On August 11th, her memory returned as to where her daughter was. She claimed that Heather left home of her own volition due to Rose's concerns that the other children may discover her supposed lesbian inclinations. She further stated she gave Heather 600 euros to incentivize her to leave the household. 
She would also claim that she had maintained sporadic contact with her daughter through telephone over the years. The next day, Rose was granted bail on the condition she did not contact her children, her stepdaughter, or her husband before her upcoming trial. Fred was held in Birmingham as he awaited trial and denied any wrongdoing. Upon hearing of her father's claim, Anna Marie contacted authorities and provided a full statement detailing her childhood experiences in the home. She spoke of the extensive physical, mental, and sexual abuse she had suffered at the hands of her father and stepmother and agreed to testify against both Fred and Rose at their trial. But Anna would also raise concern as to her unsuccessful attempt at finding her mother Rena and her sisters Charmaine and Heather. Investigators interviewed Anna Marie's husband who revealed that Heather confided just how unhappy she was shortly before her disappearance and spoke of her desire to leave the household. He stated Heather did not speak of any details of sexual abuse. He was concerned about her and offered to confront her parents. Heather told him not to, stating, For Christ's sake, don't, because they'll kill us both. To gather further evidence against Fred, authorities spoke with May, but Louise and May did not want their father charged. So May initially denied experiencing molestation from her father. With the girls not talking and the case seemingly coming to a standstill, officers then focused their attention on finding Heather in order to corroborate Anna Marie's claims of sexual abuse. But they were unable to find any tax information on her and they discovered she had not been to the doctor in the past four years. This made authorities believe she either left the country or she was dead. Unfortunately, the case against the Wests would collapse when the two key witnesses, Louise and Anna Marie, decided against testifying against their parents. Louise stated that she declined to testify because she wanted to return to her family, while Anna Marie chose to withdraw her statement because... She noticed her younger siblings were miserable, and she feared Rose's vindictiveness. The Wests would be acquitted of all charges. However, all their younger children remained in foster care with permitted supervised visits to Cromwell Street. Even though the Wests claimed to relatives that the charges had been fabricated by police, all of the family members who were not estranged from them by this point cut off all contact with them. In the meantime, authorities continued their investigation into the disappearance of Heather. They questioned Anna Marie about the family joke of Heather being buried under the patio, to which she confirmed that the only time she heard her father state this claim, he had immediately burst into laughter, which led her to believe he wasn't serious but just a joke made in poor taste. Looking back into Fred's history, they discovered that Rena and Charmaine vanished in 1971, but no one ever reported them missing. From all of this evidence, it was becoming increasingly clear 
that Fred's claim of Heather being buried in the garden might be true. They were able to obtain a search warrant to begin excavating at 25 Cromwell Street. On February 24th, officers showed the warrant to Rose, who turned pale and became hysterical as she shouted to her son to get Fred. They began questioning her again about the whereabouts of Heather, and her statements didn't add up. They completely contradicted what she had stated before. Authorities would point these out, and then Rose became distraught and abusive. She began shouting at the officers, I can't fucking remember. It's a bloody long time ago. What do you think I am, a bloody computer? When authorities served the search warrant, Fred was working in Stroud. And upon hearing the authorities' intentions, he assured Stephen that he would be on his way home immediately. Three hours later, Fred arrived at 25 Cromwell Street where he told his family that he would voluntarily offer a witness statement regarding Heather's whereabouts. He told them that his daughter was alive and well and was involved in a drugs cartel. They asked about the sick joke he made to the children, to which he assured was simply rubbish. Authorities remained unconvinced by his statement, and Fred started claiming they had a grudge against him since he was acquitted of the rape of his daughter. The next morning, Stephen was about to leave for work when his father stated, Look, son, look after your mom and sell the house. I've done something really bad. I want you to go to the papers and make as much money as you can. Police returned to continue their search for Heather's body. As soon as they arrived, Fred told them he wished to be arrested for Heather's murder and taken to the police station to provide a full confession. So they arrested him and brought him in. At 11.15 a.m., Fred West admitted to police he had killed Heather in a fit of rage, strangling her. He furthered that he dismembered her body in the ground floor bathroom with a heavy serrated knife with her remains stored in a dustbin until he found an opportunity to dig her grave. Fred maintained his wife's innocence in the murder, claiming he alone murdered his child while Rose was entertaining one of her clients. He also informed authorities that the reason they had not yet found Heather's remains was because they were digging in the wrong spot and volunteered to accompany police and show them where her body was located. After receiving Fred's confession, Stephen and May were informed that their father confessed to murdering Heather. On February 26th, authorities started digging in the section of the garden Fred indicated. A little after 4pm, they discovered a human thigh bone protruding from a section of the garden in which Fred insisted officers need not look in. As they continued digging in the section where Heather's body was claimed to be, they found human remains encased in the remnants of a bin bag and intertwined with two lengths of rope. Upon further examination, it was determined to belong to a young woman with one kneecap and several fingers missing. The fingernails belonging to the victim was also found in a pile, suggesting to authorities they were torn from her as a means of torture. 
Using dental records, investigators were able to determine the body was Heather West. Fred was formally charged with Heather's murder and questioned further as to why they discovered a third thigh bone. He confessed there were two further sets of human remains in his garden and agreed to return to the house to indicate where both of the graves were located, naming Shirley Robinson, who was pregnant with his child, and the other he incorrectly claimed as being Shirley's mate. The victim was Allison Chambers, whose remains were found with a leather belt wrapped under her jaw and fastened at the top of her skull. Both remains were recovered on February 28th, with Fred being charged with both murders two days later. As authorities had discovered three sets of human remains in the garden, they decided they needed to thoroughly search the entire property. During this time, Rose was placed in a safe house while investigators searched their home. When Fred was informed of this and received constant questioning as to the whereabouts of Rena and Charmaine, he passed a note along to his lawyer to give to the leader of the murder investigation on March 4th. The note read, I, Frederick West, authorize my solicitor, Howard Ogden, to advise Superintendent Bennett that I wish to admit a further approximately nine killings, expressly Charmaine, Rena, Linda Goff, and others to be identified. He would go on to explain that there were five bodies in the cellar and one located beneath the ground floor bathroom and claimed most of the victims were hitchhikers or girls he murdered in the 1970s after picking them up at bus stops. He further told authorities he murdered these six victims because they threatened to tell Rose of his infidelity. He would then agree to return to Cromwell Street again to indicate precisely where he had buried each victim. Between March 5th and 7th, authorities discovered the bodies of six young females. Each victim had been extensively mutilated and each bore evidence of being subjected to extreme sexual abuse before their murder. On March 5th, the remains of Therese Sigenthaler and Shirley Hubbard were discovered. 15-year-old Shirley Hubbard was found with a section of tubing that was twisted into a U-shape. Her limbs were severed from her body, her skull was encased in adhesive tape, which had been wrapped around her face at least 11 to 12 times, with that narrow plastic tube inserted into her nasal cavities. The next day, the third set of remains discovered in the cellar belonged to Lucy Partington, who had a length of cloth wrapped around her skull. Adhesive tape 16 inches in circumference found with the remains, was believed to have been used to gag the victim. Her ankles and wrists were bound with rope. They also found a large serrated knife that was used to dismember her. On March 7th, the remains of Juanita Mott, Linda Goff, and Carol Ann Cooper were found. Many of the young women murdered went through the most brutal type of sexual torture. 
with being suspended from the ceiling by a noose or completely rendered immobile. One haunting find was a mask that only had holes for the nose to breathe. It is extremely scary to think about because it blinds the person wearing it, not to mention obstructing their hearing. If you had to wear this, you had no idea what was going to happen to you. All of the remains discovered on the property were missing several bones. When authorities asked where the missing bones were, Fred would never say, and he would never provide a reason for why they were missing. Fred vehemently insisted that his wife held no knowledge of any of the murders, but authorities felt otherwise. On April 20th, 1994, Rose was arrested on the offenses relating to the rape of an 11-year-old and the physical assault of an 8-year-old boy, both charges of which dated back to the mid-1970s. She was refused bail and transferred to the maximum security wing of Puckle Church Prison. While being held there, investigators questioned her about the murders, focusing on those of Heather and Linda Goff. She was formally charged with Linda's murder on April 25th. Fred and Rose West were jointly charged with five counts of murder on May 6th. Upon hearing each formal charge, Rose would continually repeat, I'm innocent, which is something that she still maintains to this day. Along with the victims found in the Cromwell Street home, Fred confessed to the murders of Rena and Charmaine. He also denied killing Anne McFall, but claimed to know where her remains were located. He claimed that his first wife murdered Anne McFall. Rena's body was discovered on April 10th. Charmaine's remains were found at 25 Midland Road on May 4th, and Anne McFall's remains were found on June 7th. Fred was transferred to H.M. Prison, Birmingham, where he was placed under a strict suicide watch, having to be checked every 15 minutes. On June 30th, 1994, the pair were brought before a magistrate's court, where Fred was charged with 12 murders and Rose was charged with 9. It was the first time husband and wife had seen each other since he was arrested in February. Fred leaned toward his wife, placing his hand on her shoulder, and she recoiled. As officers tried to lead Fred from the hearing, he resisted their efforts and attempted to move towards Rose, who winced and tried to get out of his grasp. On July 3rd, Fred was formally charged with McFall's murder. While being held in prison, Fred became increasingly depressed, which worsened after Rose publicly rejected him on June 30th. His depression became even worse by her refusal to reply to his letters and the reports that Rose assumed the role of a grieving mother who lost a daughter and stepdaughter to her husband. She declared her innocence in the murders and told everyone of her hatred and disgust of her husband. Anna Marie and Stephen were the only children of Fred's who would visit and he would plead with them to tell Rose that he loved her, but she never acknowledged it. She became ice cold. Due to these actions, 
Fred withdrew his earlier confessions of acting alone in the murders. He accused his wife of almost total culpability in all the murders to which he had been charged. The suicide watch on Fred was soon relaxed, and on January 1st, 1995, he asphyxiated himself in his cell. In his cell, they found a suicide note, which read, To Rose West, Steve, and May. Well, Rose, it's your birthday on November 29th, 1994. And you will be 41, and still beautiful, and still lovely, and I love you. We will always be in love. The most wonderful thing in my life was when I met you. Our love is special to us. So love, keep your promises to me. You know what they are. Where we put together forever and ever is up to you. We loved Heather, both of us. I would love Charmaine to be with Heather and Rena. You will always be Mrs. West all over the world. This is important to me and to you. I haven't got you a present, but all I have is my life. I will give it to you, my darling. When you are ready, come to me. I will be waiting for you. After Fred's death, Rose was charged with the murder of Charmaine. At the pretrial proceedings in February, she pleaded not guilty to 10 charges of murder. She had been charged with two counts of rape and indecent assault of young girls, but they were dropped with a view for later resubmission. Her trial began on October 3, 1995. The prosecution argued that the Wests were sex-obsessed, sadistic murderers. Describing the bodies found held secrets more terrible than words can express. The victims' last moments on earth were as objects of the depravity of this woman and her husband. They would continue to point out that Fred was incarcerated when Charmaine West was killed claimed that the Wests had learned from their mistake in letting Caroline Owens live and that the gag found on Therese had a feminine touch, a scarf tied in a bow. The prosecution promised the court that they would demonstrate Rose's controlling and sexually sadistic character as well as expose her efforts to deflect suspicion. Prosecution witnesses included lodgers at Cromwell Street, victims' relatives, Rose's mother and sister, and surviving victims including Anna Marie West, Catherine Holliday, Caroline Owens, and Miss A. Neighbors of the West family would describe Charmaine's disappearance while Fred was in prison, as well as her indifference to Heather's sudden disappearance. The defense tried to discredit the witnesses as either having financially exploited the connection to the case or being motivated by grudges. One such instance was that Caroline Owens received 20,000 euros for her story, which that really shouldn't matter with all of the trauma that girl went through. If she was willing to talk about it, then hey, get paid for it and go on vacation. The defense would go on to highlight the fact that Fred committed at least one murder before meeting Rose. And it was very similar to the ones Rose was being tried for. 
They furthered that the prosecution's case was mostly circumstantial. Furthermore, they claimed Rose was unaware of the extent of Fred's sadism and urged the jury not to be prejudiced by her promiscuity and domineering manner. Even though the defense was highly against Rose testifying, she still did it. On the stand, her manner was described as quite unusual. Sometimes she would appear morose and tearful, while at other times she was upbeat and humorous. She sobbed when describing herself as a victim of child abuse and rape and married a violent and domineering man. She would further claim she had never met six of the victims who were buried in her home and could remember very little of her assault on Caroline Owens. When she was shown photographs of the victims who were buried in the cellar, she was asked by the prosecution if she recognized any of their faces. Rose's face turned bright red, and she began stuttering. She was asked about her life at Cromwell Street. Rose would state that she and Fred lived separate lives, a statement which was inconsistent with everyone who had either visited their home or lodged in the house. She would admit that she had a strained relationship with her daughter, Heather, and would tell the court that her daughter was a lesbian who psychologically and physically abused her siblings. Even though she claimed these actions against her daughter, she maintained that she loved her daughter and did not know that she was murdered. Rose would further explain that the reason her and her husband's explanation for Heather's disappearance changing a lot was due to phone conversations she had had with her daughter after she had left home. Her defense would then call on a number of women who claimed they had been attacked or assaulted by a man whose physical description matched that of Fred West between the years 1966 and 1975. These women testified that when Fred West's photo appeared in the media in 1994, they all recognized him as their attacker. This was an attempt to show the jury that Fred was more than capable of abducting, assaulting, and or attempting to attack women without Rose present. The final witness to testify at Rose's trial was Janet Leach. The prosecution called on her to testify against the tape recordings played for the court on November 3rd, which depicted Fred confessing he alone murdered all the victims. Janet Leach had testified that through her role in the investigation and questioning, Fred started to view her as a confidant and would ultimately confide some pretty heavy secrets to her which contradicted his confession that Rose had no knowledge of the murders. The evening before his arrest, he and Rose made a deal where he would take full responsibility for all the murders, some of which Fred claimed were Rose's mistakes. He also told Janet that his wife was the one who killed Charmaine while he was in prison. Fred would also admit that she was the one who murdered Shirley Robinson and participated in dismembering her and her baby. 
In regards to the remaining eight murders, she testified that Fred told her Rose had played a major part in the murders. After seven weeks of evidence, the judge told the jury that circumstantial evidence can be sufficient for a finding of guilt and that if two people take part in a murder, the law considers them equally guilty, regardless of which of them actually performed the killing. On November 21st and 22nd, the jury returned with a unanimous guilty verdict for all 10 murders, referring to her crimes as appalling and depraved. She was sentenced to life in prison and made it clear that she should never be paroled. Rosemary West would begin her sentence at HM Prison Bronzefield as a Category A prisoner. Then she would be transferred to HM Prison Low Newton, and in 2019, she would be transferred to HM Prison New Hall, where she will continue to serve out her sentence and protest her innocence. Fred and Rose West are known to have committed at least 12 murders between 1967 and 1987, but many speculate that there are other victims that haven't been found. Authorities have recorded over 108 hours of taped interviews with Fred, of which he confessed to having acted alone and portraying Rose as the more culpable participant. It was noted that on several occasions, Fred had made cryptic hints that he had murdered several other girls, but he refused to elaborate any further besides that he had murdered 15-year-old Mary Bastholm in 1968 and buried her body near Bishop's Cleave. He would further claim that there were bodies buried in Birmingham, Scotland, and Herefordshire. He told his confidant Janet Leach that there were up to 20 further victims that he and his wife had killed, but they were not in one place, but spread around. Fred would also tell Janet that he intended to reveal the location of one body per year to investigators, which obviously didn't happen. While Fred was being held, he also made quite a few admissions to his son, Stephen, when it came to the fate of the victims who were buried at Cromwell Street. He claimed he had extensively tortured the victims before their murder, but did not rape them. Instead, he would engage in necrophilia with their bodies at or shortly after their death. He would also claim that many of the fingers were missing because the victim's fingers and toes had been one of the forms of torture the victims had to endure. Other torture methods he put his victims through included extracting their nails, acts of mutilation, and cigarettes being put out on their bodies. After Fred committed suicide, he was cremated in Coventry on March 29, 1995. In a funeral that was attended by only four of his children, a five-minute service where no hymns were sung, the reverend quoted sections of Psalm 23 and added a solemn reminder to those in attendance that they must also remember everyone else who suffered because of these tragic events. It is believed that his ashes were scattered at Barry Island. 
After their parents' arrest in 1994, the four youngest West children who were born between 1978 and 1983 were given new identities to protect them from notoriety of their family. Each child remained in foster care. The house located at 25 Cromwell Street was demolished in October 1996. Every remnant of the house was destroyed to discourage souvenir hunters. The spot where the House of Horrors once stood was later developed into a public pathway. Anna Marie attempted suicide two weeks after delivering her testimony against her stepmother in 1995. She would try again in 1999. Luckily, her attempts were unsuccessful and she is still alive today. And I hope she is leading a better life. Stephen West was also known to have made a suicide attempt in 2002. In 2004, he was sent to jail for nine months for having sex with a 14-year-old girl on multiple occasions. He has since stopped that behavior and was last reported as having a partner and a child. Fred West's younger brother, John, hung himself in the garage at his home in November 1996. He was awaiting the jury verdict in his trial for the alleged multiple rapes of his niece, Anna Marie, and another underage girl at Cromwell Street in the 1970s. Rose's oldest biological children and stepdaughter, Anna Marie, would visit her in prison regularly. By 2006, she cut off all contact with them after May began questioning her culpability in the murders. To justify her decision, she stated, I was never a parent then and could never be now. The only person known to continue visiting Rose in prison today is Anna Marie. In 2004, Barry, one of the West's youngest children, claimed to have witnessed the murder of Heather. He was seven at the time of the incident, but claimed Fred and Rose restrained her, then sexually and physically abused her, before Rose repeatedly stomped on her head until she no longer moved. In October 2020, at the age of 40, it is believed that Barry died from a drug overdose. He had been struggling with drug addiction and psychiatric problems from the things he witnessed and endured as a child. I seriously hope that all of the children who grew up in that household have recovered and can lead a normal life. This case was so bad and I am just left speechless on the entire matter because it ruined so many people's lives. Just so many people's lives have been ruined. So what did you think of today's case? Do you think Rose is innocent or do you think she actually helped in some of the murders? Do you think her husband started pointing the finger at her because he was scorned? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Don't forget to like and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening and your support. Stay safe and I will see you for the next episode. Bye!